Hey friends, welcome to the Fielder Church podcast. Uh, This is the second episode of a six-week series where we are diving a little bit deeper into our Prayer Is series that we're going through on Sundays at all of our campuses. Uh, Our hope is to dive in a little bit more practically, uh, get in a little bit deeper, uh, and just equip you to exhale the gospel wherever you go. We also want to answer your questions, so if you do have questions about prayer, we would love to send you to fielder.org forward slash podcast. where you can ask those questions and we can answer them on this podcast. My name is Eric Sastre. I am one of the staff members here uh, at our Grand Prairie campus, and I am here today with our lead pastor, Jason Peretta. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Glad to be here. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit before uh, we started recording here. Uh, For those who are watching, you can see that we're in a nice air-conditioned video recording studio. Uh, But uh, for those of you who are listening... Uh, we, that's exactly where we're at hiding from the Texas heat right now. Absolutely. Uh, so it's getting a little toasty outside. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It is starting to get brutal as we're moving towards the summer months. But with that in mind, we'd love to hear just a little bit about maybe what your family does during, uh, some of the summer months just to stay connected or to enjoy kind of the weather outside. Yeah. So, uh, like any other Texan, we swim <laughs> during the summertime because mm. that's what you do when you're outside sure. and we go to cooler places, you know, that's, uh, those are the two big things. So, uh, this particular summer, we've got some really fun things. We're, we're going to be going to the beach. Uh, it's the last summer where all of our children live at home. I have oh, wow. a high school senior that we're about to send off to college. And so we're kind of trying to shove all of our vacation of our entire childhood of our kids <laughs> into one summer. So we have the first time we're ever going to Western Europe. We're going to be going over there for a few weeks. Uh, the, wow. the weather will be nicer there than here. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, we got a number of fun things planned. It's going to be a wicked fast summer, but uh, in Texas, I don't know if you complain about a wicked fast summer. That's no, a pretty good thing. Definitely not, but a little bit bittersweet if yeah. it moves, moves quickly. Yeah. Well. Uh, but yeah, thanks for taking the time today. And really what we want to do today is dive into the sermon from yesterday. Uh, We were talking about prayer as submission to the Father. So Mm -hmm. last week on the podcast, uh, you spoke with Maddie just a little bit about prayer as intimacy. Uh, And so can you just kind of talk through that progression moving from intimacy over to submission with the Father as we're thinking through our prayer lives? Yeah, you know, it's really just, um, I think so much of this prayer series has been about redefining prayer. And um, I think people, people, we know what prayer is like, it's, it's, it's almost innate to people, uh, all over the world, it, different religions, different backgrounds, even the, the people who are the least technologically advanced, they still have some forms of prayer. Cause there's a yeah. sense of I'm in need and I ask for some divine power. But I think because of that kind of generic influence of prayer, even the church has gotten to the point where they, they view prayer as just, I'm um, I'm just getting what I think I need from God. Uh, And prayer is so much richer than that. There is one part. uh, In fact, I've been working on that sermon for that last part, which is prayer is definitively, it's a lifeline for help. It's Mm -hmm. where we go for need. But you can't really understand that without the the rest of the context of prayer. And so intimacy with the Father last week talked about recognizing it it is about our relationship with the Lord. But this one, I think, is probably the most uh, important as we juxtapose it to the idea of meeting need is saying ultimately prayer is about me saying, God, I, I want you to reshape my own view of need. And you tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. Not just, God, I want you to do this for me because I think it's good. And so um, I really think without this sermon, we don't know how to pray. And so that's why as I was going through the Lord's prayer, uh, reading a book by Tim Keller called Prayer that really dug into this, he really emphasized this idea of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, speaking about me personally, God, your will be done in me and through me on earth as it is in heaven. So 
that's what led me toward this sermon subject. Yeah, that's huge. There was something you said yesterday uh, that really hit home with me uh, where you're talking about so often we approach prayer uh, with this idea of I am approaching God with what I think is right mm-hmm. and asking him to do that. And so just kind of changing that paradigm uh, for myself, uh, but also for us as a church, uh, I think is huge. Uh, and you mentioned yesterday in your sermon as well that sometimes submission can have a really negative connotation, mm-hmm. just kind of depending on our experience either maybe in family of origin, mm-hmm. uh, maybe with a boss at work. Uh, can you kind of speak to that just a little bit of how we can take some of those negative experiences and reframe that in light of our intimacy with God? Yeah. You know, I, I think personally, this is one of those places where uh, we are we're engaging in divinity and it is so far beyond our, our own uh, ability to comprehend. Yeah. I think about like uh, even just the idea of infinite, like I, mm-hmm. we can't even conceptualize infinite or that God is beyond time. You know, how, how, the only thing we can understand is God in time. And so I can't even, he's already right now in the future, but he's right now in the past and he's right, you know, like yeah. how do you even, we can't conceptualize that. And so I think uh, because of that, we have a tendency to view everything with our own lens of what we experience on earth. So now you come back to relationships and we, there are, we are flawed human beings relating to, relating to other flawed human beings. And sometimes those flaws are uh, in your face. And especially in the formative years of life, children who've had a domineering, controlling father or mother, uh, it can leave wounds, deep wounds that make a person understandably afraid of, of anything that smacks of a domineering, controlling personality type because they saw the evil and the pain from it. Or uh, oftentimes happens with, with women who are married to very domineering, controlling mm-hmm. men. It can be the other way around as well, but, um, but often men needing power. And so a spouse who is um, maybe was married to a man who was so controlled, maybe even abusive and uh, manipulative, and, and they, they were fr- set free from it. Now they're going, why in the world would I want to go toward a God who would put me back in that slavery? Because we see submission as uh, the sign of, I'm a, I'm a slave to this other person. I have to submit to them, which is also why in, in my own marriage, my wife, when we were talking through our marriage vows, the whole idea of uh, wives submit to your husbands uh, was really hard for her because it's just chock full of all this this negative connotation. Yeah, Understandably, because uh, to submit to someone who's evil is a very, very dangerous thing to do. But this is where our, our brains can't comprehend something that is so other than the, the divine, that if God is perfectly good, I mean, 100% never does evil, never does bad, wrong. If he's perfectly good, then why wouldn't you submit to a God like that? Because Mm -hmm. everything they do is for your good because they are about the good and that includes my good. And so uh, it's a, it's the necessity to enter into terrain that our brains can't comprehend, but we know because of scripture, it says that God is good, that God is uh, omnipotent. He can, he can do anything. He's omniscient. He knows the future. He knows exactly how everything's going to play out. And if he's omniscient, omnipotent, and he's all good, then why wouldn't we submit to a God like that? So that's, that's where I'd want to challenge people to say, try to leave out your own personal story in this because it can lead you astray because you're not dealing with a person like the ones that you've engaged in your life. You're dealing with someone who is holy, who is set apart, who is other. And therefore he plays by a different set of rules than the human beings that you're afraid to submit to. That's why I'd say, 
try to try to divorce those two from each other. Yeah. So really sticking our claim in the character of God absolutely, and who he has revealed himself to be in scripture, yeah. but also in our own lives and the life of our church. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's super powerful. And I know uh, my own story, I don't necessarily have that background uh, with kind of that negative connotation of submission, um, but still have sometimes a hard time to submit mm-hmm. to what God wants. So why do you think it is so hard for people, for believers to submit to the Lord just in general, not just yeah. because of some of those negative experiences? I, mean, I think it's, it's faith. I mean, submission is the definitive act of faith that I'm going to trust your ways above my ways. And yet, and, and, and this is, uh, I remember sharing this with someone and they laughed at the idea of it because they thought I was joking, but I wasn't. Uh, every single human being is the center of their own universe, mm. literally. Like this, everything revolves around me from my vantage point. And so uh, you are, are next to me. From my vantage point, mm-hmm. you are beside me. Uh, there are other people in the room right now that, that you guys can't see. And, and if you're listening, obviously you can't see them. But, uh, you know, they have a certain distance from me. Like it's, it's our, or the way we view the world is completely me-centric. Every human being is that way. And so when you, when you recognize that capacity that we have to view everything from a selfish point of view, then I, I am I'm trained from the very first time I opened my eyes or for the very first time I perceived the world, I'm trained to trust me above everything else because everything else revolves around me. And so it is the supreme act of faith to say, I'm going to forego what I think is best for me for the sake of somebody who's outside of me. And I'm going to have to trust that what they say is right and good. And that is uh, the deepest kind of war of faith you can get. Uh, to say, especially when, and, and I talked about this in the sermon, especially when it's hard, when God calls us to do something that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I'm the center of my universe here. Yeah. And I've, I've, you know, I've been getting along in this world all right. And now you're telling me to do something that I don't think is right. And everything in me is going danger, danger, danger. And it's flashing. Uh, that's when faith steps in to say what you said earlier. I'm going to trust in the character of God. Holy cajoles, I'm scared to death. I don't know how this is going to work out. I can't see the end. I don't, I'm not omniscient. I can't control it. If it goes south, I'm not omnipotent. Uh, but God, I trust that you are, so I'm going to follow you. And so I think that's what makes submission so hard. It is supremely an act of faith, and faith is hard. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I know often, especially maybe for a new believer who is submitting to God for the first time, they don't have that experience yeah. uh, with him to know, he is faithful. He mm-hmm. is good. Uh, but I think the great thing is that he doesn't leave us without examples mm-hmm. of that. And you turn to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, as you were going through the sermon. So how does that uh, particular story, watching Jesus do this uh, and submitting to the Father uh, in a really incredibly dur- difficult circumstance, uh, how does that shape our view of submission? Yeah, I think I think the, the beauty of that, it's a great question, is that you... Uh, you see the end of it all. You, you go over to the book of Philippians chapter two and you say that, yeah, Jesus emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, became obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. But then the end result of that is, you know, because of that act of obedience and the father bestows upon him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God, the father. You see the outflow of it, that in the end, the father elevates Jesus because of his trust. And it all worked out well. We we know the story of the resurrection. Mm -hmm. He went to the cross. He bore all the sin and shame. Three days later, he rose from the dead, conquered death, went after his time on earth up to the right hand of the father, and now has the name, the name of Lord, the name that is above every name, the name Lord. Uh, And this is the, the reward of those who trust. So you look at the story of Jesus or other heroes of the Bible who took great steps of faith and you see how it plays out. Or, and this is also, by the way, well, I think a community of faith is so important for people, especially for new believers. 
and, and we have way too many cavalier, Lone Ranger Christians like, yeah, you know, I trust in Jesus, but I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah, but you never see people live out their faith. You don't see the other end of it. When somebody says, I'm scared to death to take the step of faith, but I'm going to do it. And then, whoa, look at what the Lord did after it. And so you look at these biblical examples and you see what's the outcome of it. You look at present day examples and you say, what's the outcome of it? And you're going to see again and again and again that he was wise to submit to a God who's good and who's all powerful and who's all knowing. So just need those examples in life. Yeah. And so for new believers who may be listening, so you've mentioned community as uh, as an option and really a recommendation just for anyone to, to dive in and see what that looks like. But as they're learning to listen to the voice of the Father and submit, what would be some advice that you have for a new believer kind of stepping into that place? Yeah. I, um, I, I love the question because I think it, it probably is one of the uh, most dominant questions I hear from anybody, not not just new believers, although obviously you understand why a new believer would have the question. But man, I, I've met people who've been believers for 40, 50 years and they're going, I just, how do I even know what God wants me to do? How do, how do I know the will of God? Like I, how do I submit to a God I can't hear? I mean, do I, do I just read the Bible? Is that all I do? Because the Bible doesn't tell me to, what to do about this job. Do I take this job or not? You know, uh, Do I marry this girl or not? Do I go to this school or not? Like the Bible doesn't tell me, yes, you're supposed to go to this university or not. Uh, and so there's a lot of decisions in life. We want to know what's the will of God and we don't know how to, to mm -hmm. come to it. And so uh, I'd say this to anybody, any believer at any point in time who wants to grow in their ability to discern the will of God so that they can submit to it. Uh, I spoke about this actually in a sermon series uh, a few months ago yeah. uh, in the sermon series called Spirit Walk, where I really said there, there's three main things that a person needs to think about when they're trying to discern the will of God. Um, when you, when you pray and, and the Holy spirit, uh, tends to speak primarily through our thoughts. Uh, and I haven't had any audible voice moments, uh, with the spirit, yeah. uh, you know, it'd be awesome if it happened, oh <laughs> when my gosh, it yeah. had, hadn't happened yet, but I've had a, a lot of moments when in a time of prayer where I'm, I'm saying to the Lord, I'm listening to you. I'm, I'm ready to hear from you that, uh, I sense a control of thoughts that comes from the Lord. Uh, and that sounds subjective. Some people are going, oh, some crazy things can happen when people start saying, well, the Lord's telling me this or that, which is true. So I have a, a little grid that I always try to use to make sure this is of the Lord and not mm -hmm. of Jason. Uh, and it's just uh, three simple things. First one, does it agree with the word of God or not? Yeah. Because the Holy Spirit, the one who inspired the Bible, will not inspire me to, to think something or say something that doesn't agree with his word. Mm -hmm. Uh, which, you know, uh, requires that I know what his word says, which is a whole other issue yes. of our need to daily be in the word of God, mm -hmm. to read the Bible again and again and again, to know what it says. But when I know what God's word says, then I can test whatever thought is against his word. Does right. it match up with it or does it not? You know, and if, uh, if there's something that I sense the spirit asking me to do that doesn't agree with the tenets and teachings of the scriptures, I can cast it out. That's me. That's not the Holy Spirit. Second one uh, is you really got to ask yourself, um, is this something that is going to be uh, easy for me or hard for me? Uh, mm -hmm. Because every single human being has flesh, which means our thoughts are constantly toward what's easy and best and most beneficial for me. So when there's a thought that comes to my mind that is asking me to sacrifice, uh, asking me to do something difficult, something I don't want to do, I can have a high degree of confidence that's not coming from me. That's mm -hmm. not coming from my own flesh because my flesh will not lead me to do something that is sacrificial. And so does it agree with God's word? Is it sacrificial or is it selfish? That'll be a key one. And then the third one is uh, who's going to get the glory for it? Mm. Will it be Jesus or will it be someone or something else? Because I know if Jesus gets glory for it, the enemy would never implant that thought in my head. He does not want Jesus ever to get glory. And so if my thought and whatever action or whatever thought I have 
uh, as it works out, brings glory to King Jesus. I can rest assured that's the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's job on earth is to make the name of Jesus known and famous, is to bring conviction so that people are drawn to the to the Son. It's to help us remember what the Son spoke. I mean, his role is to lift up the Son, Jesus. And so if that thought comes in my mind and it points to Jesus and to his glory, okay, that's not of me, that's of the Holy Spirit. So those three things in check, uh, then we can know what the Spirit is, is teaching us. And, and let me also say too, uh, that requires discipline. Mm. Uh, it's a... It's a really arduous thing to take every single thought and go, okay, I'm going to put this through the grid now. Does this disagree with the Bible? Is this for something selfish or something selfless? Does this give glory to Jesus or someone or something else every single time? But it's worth taking the time to learn. And as you go further and further into this, you get more and more familiar with the voice of the Spirit versus your own voice. Subtle differences that you kind of begin to recognize more quickly. No, that's God. That's not me. Uh, and you get better at discerning and obeying. Yeah. And I can see where that could potentially feel mechanical when mm -hmm. people are kind of getting started on that journey of like, like you said, like, oh, let me think through question one, question two, question three. Uh, but like you said, as people are walking in relationship, it goes back to intimacy mm -hmm. in relationship with the spirit as you're listening to the father, uh, just being able to wrestle well with those questions yeah. of uh, the will of God. Uh, and I think we see that a little bit in uh, kind of going back to Jesus in the garden. Uh, and it was something that you actually said was something new that you had seen as you were studying that passage, mm -hmm. getting ready for this week. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Just about his the development of his thought of the yeah. will of God. Yeah, yeah. So it, uh, interesting. Um, I don't. I don't. You know. You you learn things all the time, and you think you know mm -hmm. the word, and then you read it again. You go, Oh, I see something new in there. But it was just. Um, I, I had never noticed the progression uh, of Jesus in uh, in his clarity from the Father, because in, in my mind, I don't know if you thought this way or again. This is the way I thought it. Like he's Jesus. He already knows. He's told them, "I'm going to die," and three days later, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to be raised from the dead. And they're like, "What are you talking about?" Jesus? Like they never, <laughs> never really grasped the fact that he told them, like point blank, "I'm going to do this." So, yeah. in my mind, I'm going, "Well, he already knows he's going to die, and he's going to be raised from the dead." So there's no wrestling. Right. Like he's just, you know, I, I don't know why. Why does he even need to go to the garden of Gethsemane? Why is he struggling with it? And then he prays that prayer, "If it be possible, let this cup pass from me." which sounds like a really strange prayer in light of the fact that he's already spoken multiple times, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Uh, it's, it's almost difficult to, uh, to put those two together, other than the fact that Jesus honestly thought, maybe there's a way that the Father can accomplish, even if I have to die, but I don't have to bear the sins of all humanity upon my shoulders, because those two, in, in his, you know, it was, it was the cup that he's asking to pass, it's not even death that he's asking to pass from. I don't, I don't think he was scared of being crucified. I don't think he was scared of being whipped or even nails going his hands and feet. We oftentimes think that's the worst thing, that, but that wasn't the worst thing. I don't think he was really recoiling from the physical pain. I think he was recoiling from the cup, the wrath that he was going to have to incur all the sins of humanity upon his shoulders. And he's, he is, he's freaking out about that. Like his sinless, all eternity, again, we can't even grasp eternity, all eternity, he's never had a shred of sin on him. And he's about to have all the sin of humanity, which mm -hmm. if you just take my sin, that's enough. Uh, you know, and but all the sin of humanity on his shoulders at one time. And so I think he's, I never noticed it, but he's, he's actually asking, is there some way for me to accomplish your purposes with me not having to drink this cup? Yeah. And, uh, and, and I, I guess I just noticed that for the first time there. I, don't, I should have just taken his words at face value, but it didn't hit me. And then I realized as he's praying and, and I was just studying and I noticed, and, and in the Greek, it's even um, more uh, obvious. 
it's the exact same sentence structure, except in the first one, it's in verse 39, it's in the positive, And then in verse 42, it's in the negative. It adds the, the Greek form of negation in there to say, uh, you know, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Then he says, uh, if it's not possible, basically, mm. then your will be done. Uh, and so it was just, it was clear as I was studying the language, like, no, he's, he's transitioning the way he's praying. And then I started thinking about the angels who came to minister to him in one of the other versions of the gospels afterward, when he drops, uh, drops like blood coming on for like mm. sweat. And he has to be ministered to because he's finally coming to grips, not just with the fact that he's going to die, but that he's going to drink the cup. Yeah. And, uh, and it's more than he can bear and, and he's, he's overwhelmed and he's being ministered to. And so that progression of thought over there just struck me. Even Jesus, who, who spent so much time in prayer and knew the will of the Father, knew he was going to die, knew he was going to rise up from the dead. Even he, as he persisted in prayer, had to have revealed uh, tendency or revelation to him that, that grew as he went step by step toward understanding the will of the Father clear and clear. And so I just thought, man, if, if that happened to Jesus who is that in tune with the spirit of God that prayed that much all through the night. I've still yet to uh, pray all through the night. Mm. Uh, and uh, he's, he did that multiple times and he still had this kind of progression. It, it would be true that for those of us too, as we're trying to seek the will of God, we're going to have that same kind of progression. Yeah. And so with that thought in mind, just attributing that progression, you, you attributed it yesterday to his persistence in prayer before yeah. the Father. And there are some passages in Luke that you kind of alluded to, but we'd love to hear just a little bit more uh, just on what that persistence can look like for yeah. us today. Yeah, no, that's probably what I'm most excited about, you know, sharing just, I, I so wanted it. Like, I, I wish I wish I had literally like two hours for every sermon. Uh, no, no one would come to church, but <laughs> I would love, there's just so much truth in there. But there, there were two particular passages. One of them was, was Luke 11. And interestingly enough, this is right after the Lord's Prayer, the Lucan version of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, you know, it's a little shorter of a version than the, what we read in, in Matthew, but right after he says that lead us not into temptation. And then it says in verse five, and then he said to them, this is uh, Luke eleven five, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. I love this. Don't bother me. He says, don't bother me. Mm. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I, I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, his, his persistence, his shameless persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And then he goes, he says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who seeks receives and uh, who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And, uh, and, and interesting in the Greek too, when it says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Each one of those, ask, seek and knock are present tense verbs, which means it's something you're supposed to keep on doing. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. There's a persistence to it. And Jesus is teaching us this right after the Lord's prayer. So when you pray, and, and it's the opposite of what we think of the Lord's prayer, like our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be. You know, we try to say it as fast as we can. Okay, done. Now I get to go play my game. Yeah. And he's going, no, 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 this isn't just like you recite it and now you're good. You're supposed to be shamelessly persistent, annoyingly persistent, knocking on the door over and over and over again. Like, don't you tell me you're not going to give me any bread. You keep, and I think about, uh, I think about Jacob when he's wrestling with the angel who ends up being God. And he, he's just, he's wrestling all night long. And he says, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. And at the end of it, you know, he gets his hip all out of socket and stuff, but the Lord blesses him and changes his name. Yeah. 
And all that happened because he was shamelessly persistent, won't let go. And I think these things are just saying, this is how, this is how we're supposed to pray. I'm grabbing a hold of you, God, and I'm not letting go until you tell me what to do. I'm not letting go until you give me the strength to obey you. I'm not letting go until I, I get an answer. And I just don't think we, I don't think we pray that way. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think, uh, maybe it had never been modeled for us. We never thought that way, but you look over the scriptures and it says it again and again. That's how we're supposed to pray. I, I am clinging on to you, God, until I know what you want, until I know you're going to move. Then I'll let go. And even if our hips are out of socket, it'll be worth it. Yeah. And I think the, the thing that strikes me as you're reading those passages is that the Lord is giving us permission to persist. Right. It's not that he is going to be the one annoyed with our impudence, yeah. like, like you mentioned, yeah. that he is asking us to wrestle well through persisting. Uh, and in that wrestling, he is aligning our will to his, yeah. and we're able to kind of follow in that. And uh, I know we're got, kind of getting close to the end of our time and have just loved hearing uh, everything that you've shared has been really practical. Uh, but if there was one key takeaway that you had from this past message, as we're talking about submission, what would that be uh, as we're closing out? Yeah, I, I think uh, one one challenge that I, I'd love to throw down for anybody listening or watching, uh, and it's to, it's to try this out. It's to... Uh, actually practice persistence in prayer uh, because I just don't think it's a habit many people are uh, accustomed to whatsoever. And there's, there's a lot of ways to go about that, but um, the number one way I would recommend would be people find a prayer closet. Doesn't, doesn't have to be like a literal closet. You know, it could be like anywhere where they can be alone. For me, it's not a closet. It's my back porch uh, where I have a screened in area and I go over there and I pray and I spend time with the Lord uh, and I, I just, I persist in that. And I spend 30 minutes to an hour where I'm just there with the Lord or, uh, and then because of the nature of my job, uh, you know, I, my, the, the staff and the church is okay when I pray, like they give me permission to do that, but I block out an hour or more to walk around outside. It's a little hotter. Is it getting, you know, a little, a little harder to do that when it's yeah. hot in Texas, oh, but, yeah. uh, but I walk around and I pray and I'm just, I'm just seeking the Lord. And I, I don't know if many people have ever experienced, like the thought of one hour of persistent prayer all alone, I think overwhelms the majority of people. But I, I would encourage anybody to, to find, to try to persist for one hour, to say, I'm, I'm gonna go into a solitary place and I'm gonna be in the presence of the Lord for one hour. And I got my watch and it may feel like eternity, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna listen. Which I think too is so supremely important. Prayer, we got to understand, we got to learn prayer is so much more about listening than it is about talking. And we view prayer as I'm, I'm talking to God, I'm telling him all the things that I need. But at the end of the day, prayer is about listening. God, what do you want me to do? And so sometimes spending an hour not saying a word could be the most meaningful thing you could do. I can get a journal and just write thoughts as they're coming or just be still in the presence of the Lord. And uh, I think, I think, people will find their minds are starting to be controlled by the spirit of God. And they're starting to have thoughts they've never had before. They're starting to understand scripture they've never had. Take a Bible and then read the scripture. Let them speak through the word. Maybe it's reading for 30 minutes and just sitting there for 30 minutes, meditating on God's word. Uh, you know, you don't have to come with an agenda. God, I need this and this and this answered. I just want to be with you. So I, I just challenge people to do it one time. Just try one time to get away and block out one hour and say, uh, if you know, if you got a family, family, I'm going to go away for an hour here. Just please let me do this. Or we have prayer retreats at the church from time to time, you know, jump on one of those prayer retreats. We give those kinds of seasons to be able to be a part of that uh, and just try and see what the Lord does. And I think it could be a massive life-changing moment for people. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much again, just for sharing your heart and kind of the journey that the Lord has taken you on as we're also walking through that as a church. And Fielder, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to listen. Feel free to tune in next time as we continue on this series about prayer is. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. We would love to know what other questions you have about prayer. You can submit those at fielder.org slash podcast. Or if you're watching on YouTube, just leave a comment below. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to leave a rating and review. That helps this message reach more people in our community because it's our hope this podcast would equip you and many others to live as followers of Christ outside the walls of the church.